I'm David Cross, and you may know me from my election integrity work, but I also own U.S. Asset Management, a family-owned and operated investment advisory practice. I'm a certified portfolio manager, and my job is to help you make better decisions with your money. One of the things we try to avoid is investing in companies that push the woke agenda. If you're invested with one of the big firms out there, there's a pretty good chance that you're feeding the beast that hates your values. Our company is 100% conservative, and we'd love to have an opportunity to work with you. Check us out at us-am.com and look for our big, proud American Eagle logo. Hi, everybody. I'm Christine Dolan. This is our global conversation show in plain sight. And today, David Bell, one of our favorite contributors to CDM, is joining us. And we're going to have a discussion back and forth just about the state of the world and how we, you know, how we got to where we are and how we need to get out of it. Because, uh, David, first of all, welcome to the show again. Thanks, Christine. So, David, you and I have, have, you know, international experience. We've traveled the world. We've been dealing with some of the same players, uh, you know, in the international political world as well as in the, you know, foundation world and tackling different types of issues from hunger to human trafficking to health to climate change. And you and I have had several conversations just about how we got here, who are the players, who's behind the curtain, you know, for pushing all these agendas. So let's begin with, you know, some, some of the headlines today. Uh, we have out of Australian Weekend, uh, Sherry Markson, who's a very, very reputable uh, journalist in Australia, you know, did an interview with Cadillac, Robert Cadillac, who was at HHS. Uh, he was part of the Operation Warp Speed. He, he, he's, he used to be the boss of Anthony Fauci. And he's basically said that uh, Francis Collins, the former head of NIH, who's now resigned, and also you know Fauci, who's resigned from NIAID, were all having private conversations at the very beginning of 2020, as the pandemic was was you know rolling out across the world, about how to temper the criticism of Beijing for COVID because they wanted to get a virus. And, you know, it's a headline news. I mean, we picked up her story. It's on our network. And what's your take on that? Because, you know, some people are saying, you know, he's he's throwing, Cadillac is throwing Fauci and Collins under the bus. We suspected this. We knew it in our hearts that, you know, they might want to create the wet markets as the excuse for spreading the uh, COVID as opposed to the research in the lab, because if, it, if they had admitted that it could possibly be the research in the lab, they would have to then take drastic measures to shut down the research, which of course nobody wanted to do, who believes in this Frankenstein 
bioweapon research, whether it's used positively or negatively. I, my personal opinion is that it's ne it's negative because it it's not regulated. I mean, nuclear is more regulated than the bioweapon industry. What do you what do you what do you think this means right now? Do you just do you think he's just admitting that which we know because it's just a plethora of evidence that's being subpoenaed, revealed through FOIAs and congressional hearings? Yeah, um, uh, firstly, well, it's, it's significant because it's in the Australian, which is you know, sort of the major newspaper essentially in Australia. It's a Murdoch newspaper memory, and it, it's got a large circulation. It's one of the mainstream media that you know have been so backward actually in, in discussing this issue. So to have this you know, big sort of front page major story is significant, um, especially in Australia, where they're having discussions about the vaccines and they've taken some off the market, they've limited to a certain pop, uh, age of population. And they, they seem to be, I mean, it's taken a while, but it took a while here in the States as well. Uh, to me, if Australians stand up, which I always thought you guys were going to before America did, and certainly before the Canadians did, I think if, you know, if the Australians moved the dime on this, because of all the pressure that Gates has put on recently with his trip to Australia to gather donations for CEPI and Gavi, to me, you know, I think it's got, I, I, I hope it has the potential to wake people up. Yeah, I hope so. Um, you know, as you said, it's not really new. We, you know, there's been a lot of um, emails and so on presented in Congress in the US that have shown the back and forth between the writers of the, the um, Proximal Origins paper in Nature, which, you know, very early in 2020 said, essentially said, you know, it is completely implausible for the virus to be developed in a lab and denigrating anyone who suggested that. Uh, and we know that the authors of that paper within days of writing it had been back and forth with each other talking about how the most plausible explanation, actually, some said, was that it came from a lab. And... You know, I mean, just to step back a bit, this is a virus, it's a coronavirus, back coronavirus, or very similar to back coronaviruses, very similar to ones that we know they were working on in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. This is the only such institute in China. Um, it is, so we know that they were doing gain-of-function research there, funded by the NIH. That's very clear now from Congress, etc. So... You know, and it is thousands of miles, or hundreds, yeah, actually thousands of miles from Yunnan back caves where the virus is thought to have originated in its original um, form. So, you know, just I mean, on the probability, um, leaving everything else aside, it would be incredible if this happened to come in from a wet market a few miles from that institute and not from the institute itself. So it was always the most plausible explanation, just logically. Um, and since then, you know, the in, the Furing cleavage site, which is you know, part of the um, spike protein, which it is very hard to imagine would have developed um, in natural evolution to, to move it from infecting bats to infecting humans. So it, it looks like a virus that was adapted to infect humans. Um, this has always been the case. It's been clear that the funding has been coming from NIH. Um, so it is not unreasonable that 
if this got out and it looked very much like that virus or one of the viruses that's being worked on, that the people involved would be fairly desperate to try to convince the world that it wasn't them and it was nothing to do with them. Um, if, you, if you're going to play up this pandemic and the same people were pushing the idea that this was an existential threat to humanity, which it clearly wasn't. Also, from the very beginning, we had data from China that it was really just old people and very rarely fit young people or middle-aged people. So that they were pushing the idea that this was an existential threat. They've been pushing the idea that only a vaccine would solve it. If they were, the, if it was then shown to be something which they'd been developing then, or they'd been funding, then, you know, it, it would be a bad look and it would pull the whole thing down. So it's not surprising that they push this. Um, the fact that one of, you know, the inside people has now come out and said this happened, uh, you know, maybe he's just decided to be honest. Um, people can decide to be honest. Or out of fear of being found out sometimes. Uh, it could be. And it looks like more and more of this will come out. Um, you know, there are a number of investigations now that are looking at it. The FBI have, I think the FBI have said long ago, actually, that the most plausible explanation is the lab. So presumably they got very the strong evidence on that. The intelligence agency said the same thing. Yeah. Really, yeah. NIH and NIAID, when Fauci and Collins were there, that was pushing, like, you know, in conjunction with not only the authors of the Nature article in March of 2020, but also the Lancet authors yes. that Peter Daszak from Eco Alliance had orchestrated. Yeah, and, and this is where I think it becomes interesting because Nature and Lancet are two of the major science slash medical journals. They're, you know, they're not stupid, the editors of these journals. They know that the, what was said, that it was completely implausible to have come from the lab, they knew that that was not true. They knew there's a high plausibility. Um, yet they published this. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it, it, and then they've, you know, I mean, Lancet especially have published articles, basically, you know, quite amazing articles over the last... Um, three years initially about how you know this was going to be a massive um disaster in africa etc that which it was never going to be because africans are young and not obese or diabetic on the whole um it, it that you know it, it it was a threat to children it was a threat to young healthy people they pushed lockdowns they they published art you know really quite fascist like articles about you know pro mandates pro forcing people to be vaccinated etc so this is um you know it really reflects as not just the, the some individuals who are trying to protect their own selves but the complete loss really of integrity of science and of scientific publishing over the last few years and you know people don't quite appreciate what has changed i think since 2019 but <clears throat> you know, logically looking at what has happened, we can't trust what is in journals anymore. We can't trust the editors of major journals to have a really rational, balanced approach. We can't trust major public health agencies to do the same. You know, the, 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 the pushing masking when they knew that the data was the other way, the idea that lockdowns were a legitimate um, public health intervention when, you know, all the evidence pre- 2020 
said that this would be particularly harmful to low-income people and an overall negative, which it's clearly proven to be. So it, it reflects, I think, the, the whole thing that we have. We're no longer working in a world where you know, the truth is really important. And well, what, so what, what, what do you think will happen? Because several months ago, um, Redfield, who used to head up the, uh, where was, he was CDC. So Redfield yeah. testified <clears throat> that he was iced out of some conversations and some meetings, like the one that happened in February 2020, which is mm -hmm. around the same time that everybody knew this was coming from the lab now. He came out publicly and he was slammed. Do we Should we expect for Cadillac to be slammed by these people? And should we, <clears throat> at what point, because we've talked about this in the past on this show and privately, the culture at WHO, there's a lot of uh, Stepford wives, as I call them, within the WHO who are just following the mantra, even though they may not totally believe in it because they like the benefits of WHO. But at what, <clears throat> at what point now, is it going to take to get to the tipping point to turn the tide so people wake up and realize how they have been manipulated? Because I think that we're going to have to have people inside the industries like the WHO and these leading health institutions go along and say, you know what? We got screwed because we believe the same way that we know that there were very early there were people that took the vaccinations in the healthcare industry because they believed. They didn't mm. think that their industry would use them as guinea pigs. And then they found out later that they were vax injured. So I keep on waiting. I've been waiting now for going on three years for that blue dress moment where it's, you know, I, I hate to go back to the 1998 August, the blue dress with the Lewinsky, you know, Clinton scandal. But once that blue dress surfaced and it was, you know, defied the imagination of most people that it would even exist that's when it becomes indefensible. Are we near that point now? This is the aliens, David, we have the aliens. I think you're, you're, the static is now. Now it's stopped. Okay, so, so again, going to my last question. I'm sorry. When do we get to the tipping point? David, let me interrupt you for a second because there's some something wrong when you speak. We get static. Right. Um. You want to drop out and come and drop back in? Yes. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead and do that. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, these things happen. I'm on the road. Uh, David's in the States. He's down in Texas. I'm on the East Coast and I'm traveling. So just bear with us for a few moments and we'll, and we'll try to get this back on track here. And uh, these things happen sometimes. There's nothing we can do about it. And I hope it's not the aliens and the UFO. But I think this is an important conversation for people to have, uh, and we have to ask, you know, because people shouldn't relax now. 
They should really take a look at what's being said, what's being reported, and the significance of what's being reported. Because many times in the press, we still have people going along. Yesterday, I wrote a scathing um, opinion piece and analysis of the reporting that was done with um, on Bobby Kennedy at not getting the Secret Service protection. It's up on our site, but I think you know that there's a lot of editors who don't understand if they haven't been around as long as I have in the business of when exactly some of the presidential candidates received Secret Service protection, you know, going back 40 years. I mean, the, Teddy Kennedy ran in 1980 and he received he received it. And I can I, I've got David here, but I let me see if I can do this. Anyways, read the piece that we have. It's it's up on our site about um, Teddy Kennedy getting Secret Service protection at the nod and the wink and the approval of President Jimmy Carter at the time, Jesse Jackson, Ben Carl Carson. Uh, Donald Trump received it. So it, it, it's important for people to understand. And even uh, Barack Obama received it very early on. So Bobby has been asked to, to for the Secret Service protection and President Biden has, in fact, denied that for him. But let's go back to our conversation. I'm going to bring in David. You're back. How's your audio? I heard it's good. Yeah, there it is. There it is. You're fine. Okay, so let's go back. Let's go back to the last question. Are we at that tipping point where people, you know, it's indefensible and the truth is going to spill out? Yeah, I, I actually don't think so. I, I think um, this is going to be a gradual process. Um, there's been so many tipping points over the last few years. Um, the, you know, the, 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 the way that natural immunity was treated, which was just ridiculous. Um, the, yes, and, and let's remind people, people came out that were doctors and said that natural immunity, uh, that getting a vaccination was better than natural immunity. Yeah, which, you know, Should be head snapping which is illogical from an immunological point of view and, and is shown from CDC and so on to be wrong. Um, the, you know, the, the, the pushing of masks, where despite multiple meta-analyses showing that there is, you know, no measurable impact, the, the idea that lockdowns were necessary and completely ignoring the harms and just pretending that there was one virus, COVID, and that that was the only harm to health. So, you know, there have been so many obvious things wrong over the last few years. Um, but, and I think, you know, each time, you know, people slowly wake up to this and they, they you know, very few people now trust the CDC. You can see that because, you know, most people don't have boosters, et cetera, anymore, even though they're advised to. So I think people are realizing that there's something wrong. But I don't know. You know I mean, the, the recent story in The Australian is important because it was a major newspaper. The Australians had a few good articles previously that have looked into this general area, but this is a much stronger one. So you know, a tipping point will come if the mainstream media um, came out. It does, it, does, it does do reporting. I mean, yeah, it did, did proper journalism. Yeah, it did proper journalism. But mm -hmm. that seems unlikely because they are, you know, I think the US is the same, but in the UK, the biggest funders of mainstream media are the one, the government, and two, the pharmaceutical industry. I think it's the same in the US, mm -hmm. certainly the pharmaceutical industry here. So they, you know, a lot of those media outlets could die if they go against the pharmaceutical industry's interests. So I think it's, you know, we're in a situation where 
the business imperatives are to lie to the public and to serve large corporations. We're, we're in a situation where the supposedly left-wing political parties have tied themselves to the the future of the these large corporations that are making unprecedented profits while the majority of people become poorer. Um, so are we going to see this with climate change, David? Because you know, at the WHO, at the UN, at the corporate yeah. level, everything's becoming the 2030 UN Sustainable Development Goals, which includes a, a big platform on climate change. How many people in the in, in you know across the world are you talking to that are hearing the word climate change for damn near every you know paper? It's incessant, isn't it? I, I'm first on the, <clears throat> the sustainable development goals, and people see these as some terrible agenda. Uh, if you look at the goals as they are, they're fine. They're, they're all stuff that almost everyone on earth would agree with. Um, the point of the sustainable development goals is that the people pushing them are not interested in them, and except as a propaganda tool. So if you believed in the SDGs, you would never have locked down most of the world. Because uh, the, the core of the SDGs is reducing poverty, improving food security, improving health in general, improving the environment. None of those are served by making people poorer. Um, plus all that's gone along with that. I mean, when you do that in low-income countries, you actually increase the birth rate and all sorts of things. So the, the, the lockdown and the response to COVID was completely anti-SDG. And we saw that. You know, they monitor the SDGs and most of them went backwards over that time. So right. if you believed in the spirit of the SDGs, which is good, then you would never have done any of those things. So that tells us that anyone who pushed lockdowns and pushed the COVID agenda and goes on about the SDGs and trying to achieve them is not being truthful to us and has some other agenda. So some of the headlines in America today, they're talking about that, you know, maybe the next shutdown by Biden will be over climate change. And that, you know, if, yeah. he, if he declares climate change as, as a pandemic, which, you know, uh, I don't know how you do that. I don't know what the measurement of that would be, but there's some suggestion that he would do that. Do you think that that's possible? Or, or you, because again, that's not gonna help to achieve any of those goals of hunger, poverty, sanitation, economic growth. I, I just, I, I, you know, there's some things that my head snaps at because I, I always want to think the people who are at the table yeah. having these discussions, isn't there some adult in the room that says, you know, guys, this is not the way we should be doing this? Yeah, it's, uh, so that they will put it not as a pandemic, but as a health emergency. And the UN has, you know, is pushing very hard now for them to have power over, you know, to make decisions in health emergencies, essentially over countries. Uh, the, you know, we talk about the pandemic agenda at the WHO and so on, but it's really a health emergency agenda. They are increasingly characterizing climate change as a health emergency. Uh, there's no evidence to support that. Um, but evidence how doesn't do they really... to, how, do, how do they leap forward like that? What's the conversation? Yeah, yeah. and, and I mean, is, say... it, is it just saying, unless you have climate change, in, in your proposal, you're not going to be granted any money? And that's why people go along with these? Is it is it because of grant writing? 
Yeah, well, they they don't have to say that. Um, people know it. I mean, they're, they're in global health, in public health now, you know, the big money is in pandemic preparedness and climate. So that's where you go. If you need to you know, keep your team employed, um, get a good salary yourself, have a good career. So, and, you know, when I say there's no evidence for climate affecting health, you know, you can pull out certain things. So, you know, if you look at malaria, for instance, and there was an article the other day in Lancet saying climate is going to make malaria worse. I mean, it's almost certainly not. The And you're yeah, an, let, let's just let the, remind the yeah. audience, David, you're an expert on infectious diseases, specifically malaria. Yeah, so. I've worked on malaria a long time. And, you know, we are seeing because, you know, the earth is, has been warming over the last 30 or 40 years, that's clear. Yeah, for whatever reason, it's warming. And it's warm before, it's warming now. The... We are seeing a slight increase in transmission of malaria in altitude. So in Papua New Guinea, in the Ethiopian highlands, there are areas up in the mountains that have transmission now that didn't in the past. But these are quite isolated. Where you would expect a changing climate to make malaria worse is in the sort of temperate countries as they become warmer. And that's not what we're seeing. They're the ones that are successfully eliminating malaria over the last 20 or 30 years. It's getting worse in... The, the the tropics within you know places like DRC Nigeria and so on mm -hmm. are struggling, and there are a number of reasons for that. A big one is um, the COVID lockdown. So we damage supply lines, we close clinics. You die from malaria because you don't get diagnosed and treated early enough. That's why you die because it's it's treatable. So when you interrupt that, and WHO pointed out this would happen early in 2020 your increased mortality. So over the last few years, you know, WHO records an increase of about 85 to 90,000 deaths, almost all children, probably most of them due to the lockdowns. So, you know, there are other influences as well. We have um, resistance of mosquitoes to the insecticides, bed nets, etc. So there's a lot of issues, but it is being pushed very strongly as this is a climate issue, and that is where the evidence isn't. You can model it, but it's not seen on the ground. This is the same for a lot of other diseases. And so, you know, so what is happening here? I mean, if if, if you're, you're you're I mean you're intelligent, you're sophisticated, you've traveled the world, you're an expert in your field. If you understand that the analysis is wrong. Other people must understand that the analysis is wrong too, but why don't they speak out? Yeah, the analysis and certainly the emphasis is wrong. You know, the, the major influences on disease are other, and particularly poverty. And most of what is being pushed for climate change mitigation will increase poverty. And, you know, if, if you put up the cost of fossil fuels, you increase deforestation across Africa because cooking fires are one of the or the main cause of deforestation. So you put up the price of oil, you have to cut down more trees, you have deforestation and desertification. So that will make everything worse. So um, people know this. Um, they know that you know, malaria is predominantly a disease of poverty. And we used to all be saying that a few years ago, and now it's gone to climate, but they know it's actually poverty. Um, if you say this, you become very unpopular. And, you know, the, if you... Why, why is that? Because, I mean, I, 23 years ago, when I first started investigating and covering human trafficking, one mm. of the patterns I found that if you have a marginalized, underdeveloped community, 
economically that they're going to be more at risk because people are desperate for food. They're desperate for work. They want to feed yeah. their families. Yeah. Uh, so people, unfortunately, can be naive and taken advantage of by some really evil people that just look at human beings as commodities. Yeah. But I've always said that one of the preventive measures for human trafficking is economic development and education and sanitation and addressing hunger and poverty yes. and giving people jobs and a Absolutely. vision. And keep, and keep, keeping kids in school. Yes, keeping children in school, absolutely. And and ha having strong communities of that, that believe in the protection of children. Yes. So how, why is it that, the, the, I mean, do we as a society in the West create cottage industries to make money? I mean, is, is do we create COVID and pandemics to create money? Do we create um, climate change to make money with, with, without the goals of ending those things? So I guess the question is, who is we? Um, well, you know, I don't know who's yeah. behind those. So, so we, what we can say definitively is that there is a very strong push now and billions of dollars going into expanding... Um, surveillance for viruses, for viral variants, et cetera, and pushing this as a potential threat. And we have an, an increase, a rapidly increasing number of people working in this field who are dependent on these being a threat and then responding. We have a 100-day vaccine program at CEPI in you know, Switzerland, where, which is focused on mRNA vaccines being churned out very quickly with much lowered regulatory standards, and, and this is all you know being discussed, so that they can then roll out. Um, and what is going to happen is that we will have these emergencies for viruses, we will have um, lockdowns clearly, and then we'll have a vaccine within three months, which will be the way out of the lockdown. And someone will make a very large amount of money out of this. They made you know two trillion or more dollars out of COVID overall. Uh, well, most people got poorer because they're paying for the vaccines in the end. Um, so, you know, from a business point of view, why on earth wouldn't you do that? And that is definitively what we're seeing happen. Now, you can argue that, okay, viruses are a real threat. I mean, historically, they're not. You know, pandemics have, over the last 100 years, a tiny mortality, and mostly in very old people and sick people. You know, versus other diseases um, like malaria, TB, HIV, or you know, diabetes, increasing problems due to obesity. That is where people are dying. So they're not comparatively a large threat, but there is far more money to be made there. And we are seeing corporations work much closely with governments on this. This is the corporations that are making the money. So it is not hard to you know, to see, I think, that a lot of this, at least, is about making a lot of money from the public um, in a way that the public really can't choose. And uh, you know, climate quite likely is going to be going down the same road, I think, um, especially so where it's being tied into health. Okay, so what are the questions 
people should ask because I, I think that one of the root problems just reflecting now in hindsight mm. about COVID is that they, they, yes, they played on fear. Yes, they lied to people, but also you had a public that was naive. Uh, we now have a lot of people that are regretting. That's why the, the, the refusing to take the booster in, in some of the Western uh, countries. But what is it that people should be asking as they see this shift with pandemics, climate change? What are those questions? Because I think it's important for people to get educated and, and to get their heads out of cement when they see this starting to roll out again. I mean, you and I talked in the last 24 hours about Sound of Freedom, the traffic mm. movie about Tim, uh, Operation Railroad, Underground Railroad, Tim Ballard's group. Yeah. And some people coming out and saying, oh, human trafficking is a conspiracy. No, it's not, folks. I happen to be no. an expert on this for almost, yeah. almost 25 years. It yeah. is a real deal. If you go downstream and take a look at the plethora of evidence, whether it's institutional, whether it's communicable, there is a flora of, I mean, just pathetic you know, bevy of boatload of evidence about labor trafficking, internet trafficking, organ trafficking, medicinal trafficking, sex trafficking on the street, over the internet, how kids are used as child soldiers, sex tourism where people go overseas to rape a kid. It is there. Um, we know from the internet cybercrime that, you know, there were maybe a half a million reports 25 years ago, and now it's over 22, just in one, one agency here in the United States, and that's on an annual basis, 22 million reports. So this is, this is a game. This is a growth industry. Billions of dollars have been spent, again, to fight mm -hmm. it in the almost 25 years that I've been in, the, in covering this arena. And yet, it goes up. So how we're spending the money, how we're tackling problems to me is a real issue because we do throw billions. And if we throw billions at something to correct it, like climate change, like a pandemic, if it's real, like human trafficking, if it doesn't reduce it, the model doesn't work. So what is it that people should ask as we move forward here to find out what who they should believe? Yeah, I think they, they need to... Um... They need to ask really, they need to look very hard and think, has something changed um, the, in this general area? So we used to talk about human rights, you know, that there are NGOs that are just, for instance, focused on child brides and trying to reduce child brides, which is really child trafficking as well. That's right. Um, you know, during the pandemic, uh, you know, we'll call it the pandemic, um, the COVID response, somewhere between three and 10 million extra child marriages were caused. This is, you know, it's young girls, you know, forced into essentially nightly rape. Right. And the NGOs that were supposedly focused on that, I, I never heard anything from them. Same um, here. I was very critical yeah. of people because, it, yeah. because the lockdowns made and, and the economic fallout made people more susceptible. They were fertile grounds. Yes, and this was because a large part of it was because of increased poverty. The other part was schools closed. In places like Uganda, they closed for almost two years. 
And this is a country that half the population is under 19. So they were, you know, these kids were not at risk of COVID at all. And the figures show that the mortality is very low. So the, the WHO was silent on it. It actually encouraged the lockdowns. And they absolutely knew at WHO headquarters that this will cause an increase in child rape. They knew it would cause an increase in child trafficking. They knew that it would cause an increase in infant mortality. They absolutely knew that. And everyone in the organization who's got half a brain and able to think knows that that would happen. So they were comfortable with that. And the people pushing it who are on TV, who are, and in the end made money out of it, mm. a lot of money, billions and hundreds of billions of dollars, individuals, they were in companies, they were pushing this as well. So I think what people have to ask is, it's a fair, you know, they have to look deeply at what is, how does that happen? And would they want to follow people and follow the advice of people who do that? And, you know, you know it, it, there, there's a, I think back of the migration that, um, this, is, this goes back almost eight years. There, were, there was a migration that went, the, the boat people that were heading for Australia and they put them in, um, mm. Nauru, uh, what's the name of the island? Nauru. Nauru, okay. Mm. Off the coast. And I happened to be in Australia at the time and the politicians, in our, and then there was child abuse that was happening on the island. And at the time, the Australian politicians on all sides of the aisles were trying to figure out what to do with it. Because according mm. to the Australian law, if you came by boat, if you came by plane, I could get into Australia as a migrant. But because I was coming by boat, I got stuck on the island where the kids were, mm. were being raped. And I kept on thinking to myself, and I said this publicly at the time, you know, if you have a policy that contributes to the abuse of children, you change the policy. You don't negotiate. And in the yeah. meantime, the kids are being raped. So what I'm thinking now is if we have, if we have the, we, okay, whoever these, these, you know, the, the power brokers are that make these policy decisions that result in an increase in human trafficking an increase in child marriages an increase in abuse of children, yeah. we have people who not in an institution like the UN who keep their mouths shut and don't speak up, they are, they are complicit in this. Yes. Even though they're not on the ground raping the kids. They're complicit if they create a policy that results in a kid being raped or starving to death. Yeah, and th that has been done on a mass scale. Um, and these are real kids, you know, real mm -hmm. mothers, etc. So it's not you know it's not a it's not modeling this no, is the real no. thing that's right um and, and yeah it, so the film sound of freedom is interesting because the attack on that saying that it is QAnon. um you know I, I saw the film a few days ago actually and it, it's really good cinematography really good acting especially from the kids um, and, you know, this story is compelling and it's based on a true story. And, you know, clearly this happens. Um, yes, you know, it does. And you I can quibble about the details, you know, they have to make a film. But this is a drop in the ocean of what is going on. And the film does not, it, it just states what's happening. 
It doesn't say it's due to this person. It doesn't say there's some global elite, da da da, whatever. So obviously, this has nothing to do with QAnon, whatever that means. Um, you know, it is just a, a, it's a dramatized documentary in a way of something that happened, and something that happens we know frequently in similar ways. So, but yet we had all these media outlets at the same time using this weird label QAnon for the film, which, you know, clearly isn't if you watch it. Um, so someone, you know, and we, you know, they get feed from Reuters and AP, etc. Reuters and AP are owned by large investment houses, etc. So presumably there's, there is someone there who's feeding talking points for whatever reason, but um, the, the papers and the journalists who put their name to these articles, you know, did they ever see the film? And if so, how I don't see how they can be a credible journalist and write what they did, because you can like the film or dislike the film, but it has nothing to do, you know, clearly this was just a smear. Now, why do you smear um, someone who is, or a film that is just trying to say, children are being abused, we need to do something about it. Why would you smear that? So it gets back to, you know, what people need to do, they need to look at that and recognize it and decide the people who are doing this, the people who are printing this are not the people that I want to take notice of. They're not the, they're not the, if you're not dealing with reality when it comes to child protection globally, yeah. you shouldn't be in the news business. And, and, I, and yeah. I, I remember, you know, over two decades ago when I had to tell my legacy mates <clears throat> in the news business that, in fact, you know, slavery was alive and well at the turn of the 21st century, but it didn't look like the chattel slavery of old because of the combination of the fall of communism and also the, the, the technology taking over and allowing these maggots that were in the trafficking business who were also trafficking drugs, also trafficking weapons, also involved in terrorism, you know, that they needed to shift their paradigm on how they looked at this because this is transnational and it's transcriminal. Everything overlaps. If you're dealing with human beings, uh, you're going to be dealing in drugs, weapons and terrorism on some level or even even, you know, illegal cigarettes across the border. Mm -hmm. But it's it's shifting of the paradigm. So I'm, I'm very wary now of any journalist. Uh, and, and I will tell them that either they're lazy or they're a liar. Because if they don't realize that human trafficking is off the charts and it has been and, and even though billions of dollars have been put to fight it through the course of, you know, over two decades, they are missing the boat because it is it is a real threat to kids. So if you create these other fertile grounds like the COVID and the shutdowns and keeping kids out of school and the increase in child brides, et cetera, you're actually creating you're creating policies and implementing those policies that it, that puts other people at risk yeah and if people prefer yeah not to believe this so there was an article in the new york times in about <clears throat> i think it's about 2018 it was a, a three four page article big sort of expose on this in the us so mm -hmm. you know before the before, this is pre-covid new york times and the, it, it talked. It, it was particularly concentrated on the Seattle Police Department and others. People should be able to find this article. And it talked about how they were now not even investigating children over five 
because they were so overwhelmed by the kidnapping and abuse of children and trafficking of children under five. Oh, the, 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 the ages have dropped. Yeah. Uh, the numbers are up. Um, technology is being used. The tech industry is an attack in it. And, and I, yeah. I think also when they attacked the film and said that um, the sound of freedom was, you know, QAnon conspiracy, that's because the tech industry has known for decades and that was part of my body of work that contributed to shifting the paradigm 23 years ago, that the guys on the ground were using technology and mm. that the cops on the street needed to get married to the cybercrime cops so they can, they, can, they can cross-reference how the tools in the trade are being used in a criminal enterprise. And so everybody that is in this arena fighting human trafficking knows the technology is there and it is being used by the bad actors all over the world and it's 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 not that it started 23 years ago but it's certainly it even there was a major case in 1998 called operation cathedral and there was a live stream of a man raping an eight-year-old at that point in time and there were and that that has exploded in terms of numbers and we know that social media is where the predators go to look for kids and sometimes on the xbox games they will pre pretend to be playing a game with another 12 year old, but instead it's a 35 year old. So it's, mm -hmm. you know, people have to shift their, their paradigm on how they look at evil. And I'm just trying to figure out, because I don't want to live in a world that contributes to harming children. But the problem is I keep on seeing policymakers make these asinine decisions willfully that harm kids. Yeah, and I think that's the thing, that, that there has always been in the world people like that, and this has mm -hmm. always happened. But we haven't seen it seemingly so acceptable, and we haven't seen the people who are trying to expose it being denigrated as, you know, far-right conspiracy theorists or this sort of thing until the last few years, I think. So, you know, the, the fact that <clears throat> the New York Times could publish that article <clears throat> a few years ago, but now... You know, it was one of the newspapers that labelled Sound of Freedom as a QAnon conspiracy. CNN a few years ago constantly, you know, had this self-advertising of, you know, they had this special program against modern slavery. Well, that was the Freedom, uh, freedom Project at CNN and the NGOs yeah. at the time would use, and I say this to somebody, you know, who used to work at CNN, they would use CNN as a platform and it was lazy reporting because CNN wasn't really doing a lot of these investigations. The yeah. NGOs were taking it to CNN. They created the Freedom Project at CNN. And it was a platform for the NGOs to say, oh, look at what we're doing. Give us more money. Yeah, but that they they were willing to acknowledge the issue. Mm -hmm. and, <clears throat> and, you know, we get back to COVID and what happened and people forget how major that was in 2020. <clears throat> And, you know, the, the closing businesses, closing schools throughout the world, massively increasing poverty, wrecking supply lines, and increasing child labor, increasing child slavery, etc. And I have not heard a thing from, from these. You know, it's almost silence from these institutions. So yet they've been pushing the agenda and they, they showed pre-2020 that they knew that this was happening, that they knew what the risks were. 
So yeah, they're absolutely culpable as well. And it, you know, so people need to sort of sit back and think where, you know, they need to recognize that it's not a conspiracy that people are, you know, it's not a theory that people are getting very rich from um, pretending to be working for the greater good when they are clearly working for themselves. This is normal. This is throughout human history. The fact that they are now also paying a mass media to follow, you know, to, to give them a good rap does not mean that it's still not the way that a lot of people work. So people need to somehow look, you know, you can see with this QAnon stuff for Sound of Freedom, the mass, a lot of the mass media is rubbish and clearly not all of it, the, you know, the article in the Australian is a, a ray of light, but the, the, they need to recognize that they need to just stop trusting everything that's been told to them. Um, you know, and this particularly goes, I think, uh, in politics for, in the US anyway, for the, what we used to call the left side of politics, which is now the rich side, it seems, uh, you know, the corporate side. Um, you know, as someone who, you know, personally, I've always seen myself on the left of politics, but I don't recognize the idea that you um, spend your whole time advocating for the very wealthy and stand behind big corporations against little people. And that's not what I thought um, that side of politics was for. It's not for calling anyone who tries to do something about um, abuse of children, a QAnon conspiracy theorist. So, you know, it, people are doing this because they just want to fit in. They, 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 you know, perhaps it's all too much for them and they just don't want to think too deeply. But um, in the end, you know, people have to start asking questions and decide whether they just want to be part of this or whether they want to be something different. David Bell, thank you. You make you make our audience smarter every time that you're on. We appreciate having you always, as you know. Um, and folks, that's it for today. I mean, we want to raise the questions. We want people to think about, you know, what they're reading, who's reporting. Did they report something different? Are they consistent in their message? And are they making decisions that, in fact, are self-serving? Because that's that's where we are. And there are a lot of people that are trying to speak out and ask those questions. I mean, David, you and I sound a little bit like, you know, Bobby Kennedy at times because we're all saying the world's upside down and then, you know, we get attacked. But the truth is it is upside down. It is at the moment, yeah. It is upside down. David, thank you again and we'll see you soon. Thanks, Christine.